give it a chance. Keep an open mind and don't don't think that all ed tech and all online learning is is a, is a bad thing. That it has to be stressful. Small baby steps. You you have to start from somewhere. I think that that's what I'm trying to, you know, just believe in yourself and believe in your students. You can do this. Hi, everybody, and welcome again to Connected Podcast, where we share the inspirational stories of educational leaders working around the world. Our topic today is e-learning and using uh, virtual learning classrooms, virtual learning platforms. And we bring in a guest, Mira Peramaki, who is a a really wonderful resource here. Uh, She's been working in this field for eight years, and previously she'll talk about her experiences as, as a nurse and how that maybe has shaped her understanding of, of the work in e-learning and virtual learning. I think a, a few things for me came out of this conversation. First and foremost, I think that since we're in this crisis mode, you know what we're doing now as teachers in different fields isn't really the kinds of e-learning that 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 Mira's talking about. I think we're really what we're doing is responding to a crisis and and, and finding ways to move forward uh, in this emergency situation. But um, there's still a lot of things that we can learn and we can try to apply best practice for e-learning and virtual learning in our coursework today, whether we're teaching in primary, secondary, tertiary education, or of course, in other kinds of uh, educational fields as well. But what I think came out more than anything is this reinforcement that good teaching practice is good teaching practice. The things we know to be true, whether we're face-to-face in a classroom or online, synchronously or asynchronously, those things still hold true. Um, And so Mira talks a lot about giving proper feedback, making sure the course is designed appropriately, understanding how your learners are interfacing the material. And um, it was, a. I really, first of all, had a, had a really great time in the conversation. It was really enjoyable, but it was also really a useful exercise to think about where I'm maybe going wrong in my virtual learning experiences. One thing I know that I've really noticed, and I, I wonder how many people are, are feeling the same, is that I'm recognizing now that so much of my teaching, or at least more than I wanted to admit, relied on my personality, my uh, rapport with students, which is great. Of course, that's really useful, but um, I could get away with a lesson that wasn't entirely structured, maybe uh, as coherently as it could have been. Or uh, I could, of course, just repeat my instructions a few different times and eventually someone will catch on and, and it'll be clear enough for everyone. When we've shifted to this e-learning environment, those things aren't there in the same kinds of ways. I can't rely in the same way on my personality or my rapport. I can't rely on you know just being able to repeat my information several times. But Mira does give us some really good insight into how we might bring our own personality into the virtual learning environment, how we can still be an important presence in that classroom whether it's face-to-face or online. And 
for me, this was, I think, the most encouraging bit. Finally, Mira talks about an, an important topic that keeps coming up again and again in leadership and in education. The things that seem to be working well around the world are based on some degree of trust. And I think I've talked about this before, or I certainly thought about this, but we're in a situation now where trust is, there's no other choice. These external exam boards trust that the local and regional uh, uh, school districts or individual independent schools are able to make good decisions about teaching practice. The leaders at the school uh, at the school level have no choice but to trust that the teachers are performing their tasks or you know giving good um, educational content under these circumstances. And teachers have to trust that students are you know working through the material and are diligent and part of the part of the uh, classroom environment. We don't have a choice, but I think in some ways this forced trust or be the situation, the context that we're working in has, at least for me, enabled me to see what's possible that the expectations that I have, for example, uh, of really strict deadlines. Well, maybe that doesn't work in the same kind of way in this environment. Maybe there are other ways to encourage students to complete tasks to master the assignments rather than get them done. And I think more than anything, this conversation has helped me understand which parts or which components of virtual learning I'd like to keep, keep going uh, and carry forward in my own, uh, my own teaching practices. So before we move to the episode, one quick note about the audio quality. I have to say when I listen back to the quality of my vocals, and the recording, I was really disappointed um, more than anything because I don't want to distract from how wonderful this episode is and how many really useful topical insights that Mira is bringing to this. So I did my best to clean it up. For those of you who are new to the podcast, you can expect better audio next time. Uh, and I have to say that Mira's words of taking baby steps, not worrying about having everything right for the first time was my mantra today while I was doing the editing on this. So, Mira, can you first of all give us just a bit of your, your background and how you got into working with e-learning and, and what you're doing now? Um, uh, originally, I'm actually a nurse mm-hmm. and a vocational teacher. How I got into e-learning is pretty much it was by accident. <laughs> my uh, former manager sent me a message on Facebook on all of all places uh, about eight years ago, wanting to know if I was interested in take uh, coming to work uh, for the hospital here in uh, Tampere for the, uh, as a training coordinator, then uh, I was coordinating the uh, medicines management training for nurses that actually is online. So that was my first first encounter with uh, e-learning as it is. And then it just started from there. I got really interested in how to facilitate uh, learning and teaching online and and what kind of tools you can use to make the uh, content more interesting and activating for students. And uh, that's, that's where I started. 
was yeah eight years ago. And what are you doing at the moment? At the moment, I work for a ed tech company. We offer e-learning solutions for uh, various organizations, schools, uh, businesses. We try to have an offer, you know, well, we offer everything there is, like the learning platform, training, and uh, even content. We design content and do, do basically everything for the for the customers so yeah that's what i do i'm i'm a trainer mm -hmm. at the moment uh i'm starting a couple of projects as a project manager and uh yeah that's what i do it's super fascinating about like the how your ex early experiences kind of open up and shift things if you don't mind i'm really interested in those early stages because i think a lot of teachers find themselves kind of staring at e-learning platforms or doing e-learning and they're not really sure, okay, what do I need to keep in mind and what's going to be different about this? And so I'm, I'm sort of interested maybe what you, what got you first, when you first thought you, you thought a hook, you had like a hook into e-learning, like, okay, this, this is going well for me. There's something here for me. What did well, you see? Um, I think the first, because when you, like medicines management, that course is massive. And it is, and I'm really sorry to say, but it's boring. <laughs> the content is so boring. It's it's hundreds of pages of, of just pharmacology. It's, just, it's so mm -hmm. boring. And I was just thinking that, I mean, imagine, because it takes you hours and hours and hours. And then you're reading that stuff on your screen i mean your eyes are tired you're tired it's not it, it, oh it was just awful and uh that that's why I get it. can you make it more interesting is there something that you can do to make it more captivating for for the people who have to study it because it's not like it's their choice you have to do it if you don't do it you don't work and the same thing with because i was I was the admin of of the learning platform, the learning management system, and it's it's like the first time you get into it. You, I mean, surely somebody gives you a basic training on how it works, but the first time when you have to do it on your own, it, it pretty much feels like swimming in an icy lake. It's like you, you, somebody drops you off a beer and say, "Hey, have fun, swim." So that, that's what it felt like, and I and and now. As I work, I try to make it more accessible, that it's not that scary, that, that as a teacher, there's not really anything you can do to destroy the whole platform. I mean, nothing you do, nobody's life depends on it, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it's, it's just try to make it a little bit easier and a little bit less scary to get into it. But yeah, the first so, for me was, oh my God, this is so boring. <laughs> I think there's a lot, I, I'm, you know, we, I can't really call what we're doing exactly e-learning in the same kind of way. It doesn't have the principles. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of our instructors, Mark mentioned, it's, it's not really e-learning. It's sort of like crisis. It's, yeah. it's responding to a crisis. And, but at the same time, like, I, I do definitely feel like the content that I'm, that I'm providing and a lot of my colleagues, teaching colleagues are providing is maybe more boring than it needs to be. So what are some of the things that you found as you went along? Like what, what were some of the things that you looked at and try to make it less boring if you had a whole content of pharmacology 
How, how did you break that up? What were some techniques or some 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 strategies? Well, when you think about it, because uh, when you're a teacher and you're you're used to teaching in a classroom, you have your students there, so they get your personality. They get Scott, yeah. you know. Yeah. But when you do that online, they don't get Scott anymore. They don't have your person. I mean, even if you are giving them a lecture, you know, online, and they're they're they they can see you and they can hear you, but still, it's not the same thing. You're not in the room with them. They don't have their student colleagues. They don't have their their peers with them in the in the same room. I mean, they're alone at home, maybe with their parents or something. But that that I mean, everything is t- different. And then when you think it's... about like taking a book that ha- that has about three hundred pages, it's just the book. I mean, and I mean, everybody, I, I, I would like to meet a person who reads a 300 page book about something you have to study in one sitting and enjoys it. I mean, I would like to really meet that person because I, I haven't done that yet. Uh, so when you, when you take e-learning content like that, I mean, you have to break it into little bits and pieces. I mean, if you have like 10 pages of stuff you have to read, then you have to like a little task, something that that will stop the passive just reading and make you do something. I mean, it doesn't have to be fancy, but just a little bit something that'll break the reading or the or the watching a video or listening to someone talk. It's so funny to hear what you're saying because I um I don't know, my first experience in the first few weeks of teaching online, I realized how many things rely on my personality as a teacher and how many things I get by just on like a positive presence. So like when I'm giving instructions and maybe you can even hear it in the, in this podcast, like I tend to go off in different directions and in a classroom, that's fine. You know, people can kind of go along and it's a nice energy, but on it's so much different online. You really have to be really like specific. And then like you mentioned, I think the other thing that I find myself doing is getting way too kind of like looking at all the different tools I could possibly use and yeah. trying to incorporate. And it just gets confusing. It just gets confusing. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the things that, because right now I think it was Finn in our class who said that it's like virtual toilet paper. And I really love that because now it's like everybody's <laughs> panic buying ed tech. Like every yeah. piece of gadget, gadgets, all the fancy bling bling thingies you can find. And now you're just, panicking and I need to use this and I need to use that. And that's where we go. That, that That's the wrong way to approach it because there's always a goal. There's something that you're t- trying to teach your students. I mean, there's, there's something that you want them to take home from whatever it is that you're doing. And, and that's the first thing you have to think of. What do I want to teach them? And then you think of is there anything I can use to make it more interesting? Is there something I can use to facilitate this teaching to them? It should be about the goals and the aims of the teaching and then about the technology that you use to enhance what it is that you're doing. Why do you think, I mean, that's such a basic principle of good teaching practice. Why do you think it sometimes goes in the wrong direction when we incorporate these these tools and techniques from, from e-learning? I think it's because uh, uh, sometimes what I've noticed n- noticed for the past few weeks is that we try to switch the uh, teacher or instructor-led teaching online as is, and it's not going to work yeah. that way. It's not going to work that way. So you have to basically just change, change what you're doing and, and, and try to 
use some kind of yeah because it doesn't it doesn't start with the technology it never it, it can never start with the technology it's there to add value it's there there to make your teaching possible at at this time but it shouldn't be about that it's always about the teacher and it's about the students but yeah i think it's a really, I think, useful response. Do you have some, and maybe I want to explore this a little bit in detail here. What are some, uh, I'm really interested in picking your brain about this. What are some of the, like the, the really core structures of things that we really need to consider as we're approaching e-learning? So some of the must-haves that it, the like key principles of e-learning design that teachers might be able to implement even in the short period of of this crisis that we're in. Well, first of all, is to uh, try. Is it something that you're teaching online only? Is like something that you're you're designing a course that your students will do on their own time, whenever, and they don't really need you there at all. Or are you using uh, some sort of a platform to give your lectures to be there, mm-hmm. like like a real time Q and A, or give a lecture, or give them tasks to do so that you're actually there with them. You have to separate these two. So that that's the first thing is how do you want to teach? But I think I even because even when you when you design a a class, you're you're giving a class, you're teaching something, what's the first thing you do? Yeah, look at the end goals, look at the aims of the course, thinking about my students, think about my own strengths as a teacher and also thinking about the the space that I have, the time and space that I have to do it. See, that's the same thing you do with e-learning. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, yeah. you know, one of the things I'm sort of curious about, you st- this this thing that's come up in my own teaching, you asked, do I need to be there at all during this? Is there, am I structuring something that is that students can go away and do on their own? For a lot of classroom-based teachers, I teach secondary school. I think this is... This is something that's really scary to think about, well, I'm not really, am I really needed here? What's my role? I don't know what it is anymore. And I think that there are a lot of people who are experiencing something like this. Can, can you talk a little bit about how maybe the teaching role itself sh- might, might need to shift if you're, if you're answering the question oh, that the students don't need to get? Oh, they always need the teacher. The yeah, teacher is yeah, yeah. always needed. But when you think about your resources, for example, is there some bit? in that course, in, in the stuff that you're teaching, is there something that they can learn on their own? If you can give them like a material to study on their own, um, maybe have a little chat with their stu- with the other students, do something, you know, among themselves. Because even, I mean, that, that's like giving them responsibility. Mm-hmm. Students like that. And I think the scariest thing is, and here comes the finish thing, is to trust your students to actually do the work. Yeah. And give, give them the benefit of a doubt that, you know, they will not just skive and do nothing. But, you know, they, they will always need you there as a teacher. It's just that maybe you can be there in a different way, that you don't always have to be present at the same time that they are. Just, I, I think the biggest problem is having the courage to try it the first time like i said nobody's life depends on this i mean if if you fail then you know that okay this this doesn't work i'm going to try something else and the biggest step is to just have the courage to try 
wow. I, there's something there that really resonated with me about this courage. It's somehow in a, in a typical classroom environment where we're not facing this pandemic and we're not, you know, we're not out of our routine. It seems really, really scary to potentially bring in new technology or a new approach or to think about your role as a teacher in a different way. And at least if there's any opportunity here or anything that I'm encouraged by, it's like, why? Well, I, I guess I have to trust students because I have to. They're not like, you know, like, I guess I have no other choice. So mm-hmm. let's find ways to make it happen. Um, I wonder, what what are you thinking about, like, have you worked with teachers or organizations or in the last couple of weeks and, and see their perspective on things change at all? Or Yes. Yes. Can you talk about that? I'm really curious. Um, well, it's it's like um, I had a I had a couple of meetings with this company that um, and they they had a training session coming. It was, they had like two weeks and it was like new mechanics that are servicing brand new cars. And they usually do that. They have a whole day of two experts there giving lectures and teaching them, you know, you know, this is the way you do it. Try it out. That like the whole whole big thing and they couldn't do that obviously because you know everything's canceled and now they need to switch that online and they had two weeks and I asked them uh what kind of material do you have and they're like and 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 he said we have a powerpoint presentation with a hundred slides I'm like wow because <laughs> just upload it, that and you've got a great lesson right yeah but then again when you come when you and this is actually one of the things that 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 i've noticed that uh, organizations pay money for learning management systems and then they use it to store pdfs like i have this powerpoint presentation i just switched it into pdf and i'll just store it there that's that hilarious. is a really, really, really expensive folder. That's <laughs> yeah, what yeah. you use it for. That's I've got reason. technology in my computer already for that, right? Yeah, I know. So you don't need a learning <laughs> management system for that one. I'm like, wow, <laughs> sign in. There's a folder. No. And the other thing is that whenever you make a PowerPoint presentation, you use it to teach. You have a slide that has sometimes, I mean, when I make a PowerPoint presentation, there, there can be slides that only have one picture. And I explain, I, I try and teach what I want them to get. I, I tell them the stuff that's on the slides. I use only a few words and a couple of pictures. I don't make slides full of text. So when you think about just doing that, you have a hundred slides and you store that and you give them, the students, I mean, read this, study that on your own time. They don't get anything. They don't get, they have a slide with four bullets. What do you what do you learn from that? Because then you're missing the teacher. You're missing the person who's telling the story behind it, going into detail and explaining what the slide means. So that that's that's what I'm trying to say. They always need the teacher. So when it is when you've designed something so that you're actually talking to the students, you're giving them a lecture, and you try and switch that online as is, it doesn't work anymore. So a hundred slides. And two weeks, that's that's a lot of work. And if you're using something like um, you're, you have to show someone how to do something like by hand, you have to show them this is how you do this so that the car will work after this. They have to use video. They have to take little teeny tiny two minute videos 
that shows, you know, plug this in there and there's a gauge that shows these numbers and that, that this is what it means. So, I mean, two weeks for that, it, it's, it's a massive amount of work. So I can't even imagine what it's like when you have a classroom full of students, like kids, and everything you've ever taught them. Now you have to do the same thing and you don't even have the two weeks to do it. So, yeah, I don't. Envy. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the thing, you know, for better or worse, like we talked about earlier, so much of my teaching or at least it's getting supplemented by my personality, by mm -hmm. the stories I can tell about what we're doing. And I, you kind of, you kind of underlined something that I've been thinking about, which is how do I make sure that my, my, my e-learning lessons aren't just aren't just content. Like, how can I keep a hold of the story, or tell them the background information, or let them feel like I'm connected to them in some way, even if it's um, asynchronously, not at the same time, or you know, like, what? How how can I keep myself as part of the teaching? Feedback. Give them hmm. feedback. Because hmm. that's, that's that's what they. I mean, they can they can say that they don't care. I mean, like adult learners, they they can say that they don't care, and I don't I don't mind if I don't get feedback. That's a lie. Yeah. You need feedback to learn. So that that, that it, it it's just a, it's teeny tiny things. It doesn't have to be a grand gesture. I mean, whoa, whoop de doo, look at this. This is I mean, feed just send them a video, just a, couple, a little video saying that I I read your stuff and it was good, and you know, just just a teeny tiny little feedback. I think the thing is that it doesn't need to be pretty and 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 like I said, it doesn't need to be fancy. It just it needs to have. A, I mean, you want to connect with them, and you need to show that to your students that you want to connect with them, even in this this because it does it's not the same, and and they understand it. It's stressful for them as well. Mm -hmm. Just a little connection. Mm -hmm. Wow, this feedback thing it's it's funny. Whenever, you know, we're in this MBA program together and whenever, I don't know what your experience is, but whenever I'm doing the work, I always, I do say that to myself, like, okay, the feedback, it's fine. I'm doing it for myself. But then a day, a couple of, you know, weeks go by and you're like, oh, maybe the feedback's up today. And it, it's true. It's like, you just want to be recognized. You yeah. just want to felt, feel like the work you've done has some kind of impact, at least a little. Yeah. Imagine that. And you're a teacher and you want feedback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> imagine yeah, your yeah, students, exactly. they want it too. Of course. And it's such a simple thing and so basic, but I think sometimes we forget how powerful that is. Yeah. I, th I think I'm going to put that clip up in the beginning because I, I really want to hear people to hear that. First of all, this idea of, of feedback. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, um, and, and then if, if, if you can, when you, when you're teaching them something, I think that this is what I found useful as well when I was actually teaching <laughs> um, was that if you can build on something that they've learned before so that they can apply the stuff that they already know you know using that to learn something new that 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 actually helps motivate as well i think if you can just use what they already know and build on that i mean you can do that online as well give them tasks or stuff like that yeah it's funny i we use google classroom and it's I don't know. I don't know how other teachers are feeling, but sometimes I feel like my classes are not as connected as they would be in real life. You know, today on Tuesday we're doing this lesson, on Wednesday we're doing something else, and in, in my head it's so naturally obvious. But because the students are in the same room asking questions, or we're not having an sort of 
impromptu discussion, those things can feel really removed from one another. Yep. And I think that this, this, this design, this learning design that you're talking about is a really important way past that. Thank yeah, because and it doesn't have to be the same as it is in cl- in the classroom. You have mm-hmm. to forgive yourself the fact that it, it it's not the same. It can't be the same. Mm-hmm. It's not even supposed to be the same. Mm-hmm. Oh, can you talk about that? Like, in what ways is it not supposed to be the same? Um, like like we said before, it your personality is, is not there. It's, so it's you you don't you can't give them that. There is there's no tech to give them a three D Scott in their living room or wherever wherever they are there's no technology to get get that there's no technology to give them you but there were, we were so close to holograms 10 years ago what happened <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> it's all gone now but yeah so it's not supposed to be the same so you have to adjust and change and and forgive yourself you know the fact that this isn't the same thing mm-hmm. It doesn't have to mean that it's not as important or it, it, it's not as effective, but it's just not the same as it, it would be in it, it would be in a classroom. Where do you see this work going? Where do you see, what do you think happens? And I know you're working in a lot of different fields as part of your, your, your current work, but I'm interested in, you know, secondary, primary education, but not only thinking about how things get taught in organizations, human resources. What do you think is going to be the result of this month or months of uh, everyone being forced to, to, to meet virtually? I think, I think this, well, first of all, is, is the trust issue. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of uh, companies there that aren't used to having a letting their employees work from home but now it's like okay the work gets done even if you're not at the office the work gets done it's the same thing with the students the work gets done if you just and and now you're kind of you're forced to trust like you said you have to trust because if you don't then you know you're just going to worry yourself sick i think that's one of the biggest things is that i mean for, for example, in Finland, well, we've seen in the past few years that people tend to move to the big cities and, and like the countryside is, is being <laughs> pretty much, you know, nobody wants to live there anymore because, you know, the businesses are in the big cities. But I think now that people are trying, are starting to realize that, you know, it's not a big deal. If I can work from home, I don't have to live in the city. I can, you know, live in a smaller town outside of the city center or something like that. I, I think that's one of the things. And uh, maybe in businesses and workplaces, you can free resources when you figure out that there is stuff that you can teach people online so that they can, like micro learning or whatever you want to call it, that there are small courses and and little nuggets of information that people can obtain on their own, that, that you don't need an instructor there to tell them what to do. So imagine doing that, that you give them information that they get to study on their own. And then the expert or the instructor is used for making that deeper, that the, the, the knowledge like in, in depth or something, you know, to give them more. They learn the basics on their own and then they use the expert for something more. So, and I think that could be done in schools as well. 
Yeah, I would love that kind of environment for school. I mean, moving towards a coaching based model. And yeah, I'm, I'm curious what you think about like, what, how are these, what needs to happen in order for the best parts of these changes to really take hold as we, if once we move out of panic, (laughs) (laughs) But Um, but I mean, in terms of like good practice, structural support, those kinds of things, I think, how do we keep a hold of that? Well, maybe just uh, like I, I'm going back to the having the courage to actually try and having the courage to fail. Because what I've learned is that whenever I, I fail miserably, I learn from that. I know that, I, okay, I'm not going to do that again because that obviously didn't work. So I'm going to have to try and think of another way to get to the point that I was trying to get to. So that forces me to design something that'll actually work. And trust me, when you when you get the idea and oh my god, this this actually works, then you've learned something, and then you can develop from that. So it's just having the guts to go and try it, and having the guts to fail. I mean, I I used to work in a place where where we had this sign on the wall that says that whenever you fail, I'm just going to say something, <laughs> but whenever you fail, I think I understand when you mess it up really good, yeah. the others need to, you know, give you a standing ovation. They have to stand up and clap. It's like, because, because, you know, when you, when you fail, you learn. So that that's like the biggest opportunity you have. It's just to have the courage to try and you'll learn from that. Trust me. <laughs> Yeah, there's absolutely no doubt about that. I can think of a few big failures of my own that I still kind of ring in my brain a little bit. Yeah, but you're not going to do those again, are you? Definitely not going to do that again. Yeah, because you're going to no. do something else. But I think that's it. Because when we try, because I mean, and this is this is completely different. This isn't. This is like in a crisis situation, you have to do something. It's not the ideal situation where you have the time to plan it to pilot, to have someone test it for you and then going back to it and, and, and changing it and doing it again with time. Because it can take a year if you're yeah. designing a really big online course from scratch. It can take a year before it's actually ready to go out there and be used. This I, I is completely different, yeah. That's my, that's my concern, I think, with all of this is that we've had all of these things opened, like all this trust is given to a lot of teachers or institutions, people working from home, for example, almost, but of course, out of complete necessity. Mm-hmm. And so there aren't, for example, I'm thinking about external examinations, those are canceled, you know, the our, our own um, director of school is giving us quite a lot of freedom, because he knows he understands that there's really nothing else we can do. But I'm sort of curious when it gets when things get a little bit more normal, how do we actually to go through the steps of developing good e-learning platforms or any other of these kinds of initiatives which have proven to be successful in some ways? What, what do we do? Just keep it up. Don't yeah yeah just use it for your benefit. Use it to teach. I mean, just don't 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 give it up. Just keep it up and develop it. I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to stay in this course. It doesn't mean that you have to teach online from now on, but use that, the online stuff, use use the technology to add value to the lectures you're given in, in the classroom. Just build from that. Just, you know, apply it in, in your teaching. 
there's a lot of lessons that came out of this, that's for sure. How do you see your own work changing in the next few years? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think cause my main thing at the moment seems to be talking about e-learning and online teaching and online learning and how to design a course and what do I do and how do I activate students. And I think that at this point, people are starting to see that as an important aspect of online teaching. And I would like to think that in the coming years, that's going to be even more important that people are critically starting to evaluate the technology that they're using for teaching, that it's not going to be just panic buying technology, that whatever looks the prettiest is what we're going to use mm -hmm. to actually think what kind of value this technology adds to my teaching. And I think one other thing that seems to be we're forgetting something is that, I mean, this is new to all the teachers and all the teachers are panicking about, oh my God, I have to teach this online and I don't have the classroom. But what sometimes is forgotten is that it is as new to the students. And when we have kids that they're they're really good with computers and they're really good with their cell phones and whatever, but they aren't used to learning that way. For them, learning and studying is also being in the classroom with their teacher. So they need, yes. to, be, they need to be taught how to study online. It's not something that, that you know, is coded in their DNA. They yes. need to learn that as well. Yes, yeah, because it's I, – I think in a lot of ways can take it for granted that while well, you're using this technology or these types of technologies all the time – so what could I possibly tell you about how to study online or use? But of course that's not true. And it's so, it's so interesting that maybe that's, um, maybe that's an important lesson that we're really not teaching digital literacy in the way that we think we are as educators, at least in, in a lot of organizations. Yeah. Cause it's not Instagram, Snapchat and TikTok. It's completely yeah. different. It's yeah. not something that they know just because they're young and they can use technology for other stuff. Yeah. They, need to, they need to learn how to study online as well. They have what the some, right. <laughs> yeah. What are, some, what are some of the things that teachers should, should know about where students have difficulty or learners have difficulty learning online? Well, it depends on, like, for example, the platform that you're using. If if mm -hmm. they don't if if they don't know what what what's expected of them, uh, if the, if it's something that they're studying on their own, this is what I what I usually talk about is that if if it's like an online course, that you have a learning platform that somebody signs in and they they go and find the course and they do the course on their own, you've got five minutes, max, five minutes for them to sign in, find the course get into the course and see what it is that the course is about, what's expected of them, and how are they going to pass that course, and how much time will it approximately take them to get through the material. Wow. If, if we can't give them that in five minutes, they don't care. That, yeah. that's, that's where you lose them. And, and, I, and I think it's the same thing with whatever it is that you're trying to teach someone online. They have to 
you have to tell them how to find the material and what is expected of them. What do you want them to take home from that? What it is that you're trying to teach them? That That's the most important thing, I think. If they can't so see that, if they don't find that out, then they, they don't care. Then they're going to Netflix your teaching. It's like switch channels, browse through the, yeah. I, uh, I, I think it's really interesting that this idea of time or like telling them exactly what's expected and where they need to find things. I often, I don't do it anymore. I think, I hope, but when I first started teaching on, or even, even using this platform that we're using now, it's like, okay, well check it out on Google. It's there, you know, it's type in a few details and you'll find it. It's really easy, but no, I'm the subject expert. Of course I know where to look. That's not the case for them. It's yeah, really, it's really fascinating. And the thing is that actually that's a, that's a good point because look it up on Google and you are the subject expert. So you know what they can find from Google. So basically you have to steer them in the right direction. This is yeah. the information that's actually valid. Somebody's yeah. proven this. Yeah. And that stuff over there is just lies, lies, lies. Do not believe that. I mean, you have to steer them to the right direction. And that's your responsibility as a teacher, even if it like even on an online course, you have to give them the resources that are trustworthy so that they don't go on Twitter and, and read whatever comes up from there. They they and that's how they learn actually. And I think one of the things is that when you design a course and you think of the main goals, what you're trying to teach them and stuff. But what I always ask people to think is, do they stop learning when this course is done? Or can you just give them something that they can build on and wow. continue learning from that? Well, can you go, can you explain that just a little bit? I really love that idea. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. Well, oh, hmm. Well, fine. I'm a nurse for crying out loud. I should know that. <laughs> uh, when you when you, when you think of like um, like nursing, for example, um, I think there's a lot of nurses who I mean, nursing students or a lot of people who are thinking about going into nursing and they they watch these really fancy TV shows. Wow, that's awesome. I want to do that because that's like action and 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 defib and all kinds of fancy things and hunky doctors. It's a lie, people. It's all a lie. Um, so what, what you get into is like, I want to learn all the cool tricks. But what you don't understand is that to get to the cool tricks, you have to understand the basics. You have to know how a human body works. So you build on that to learn all the cool tricks. So the neck, so when you're looking at a patient monitor, you know, and then there's all these blinking lights and, and, and warning bells going off and you look at it and, oh, I know this, their heart rate is up and their blood pressure is low. So that means that they're losing fluids. They're either bleeding or something, because that's what you've learned mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from the, and it's, it's like to get that, to give them something that this is the basics of it. And let them give them the chance to apply what they've learned before, and build on that. For example, uh, you know what, what's been so exciting to me about this entire conversation is that you've 
you've like underlined and pinpointed a lot of the things that I've been feeling have been going wrong or that have accidentally maybe going, been going right. And the things that are working and not working in the online learning that I'm, that I'm doing. And I think a lot of other colleagues are doing, and you've also, you've explained it in a way it's like, Oh yeah, that's just good teaching practice. That's just basic teaching practice. We're just applying it in a different way. And yeah, that was really, really valuable. It's Is there anything like, else? That, sorry. No, it's not, not like we're reinventing the wheel or something. It's it like you said. It's good teaching practice. It's just done in a different way. It, it's it's still teaching. Still teaching. Mira, do you have anything else? Any other words of wisdom before we uh, finalize the podcast? Just give it a chance. Give keep an open mind and don't don't think that all ed tech and all online learning is, is, a, is a bad thing that it has to be stressful. Small baby steps. You, you have to start from somewhere. I think that that's what I'm trying to, you know, just believe in yourself and believe in your students. You can do this. <laughs> uh, a really wonderful place to end. Thanks, Mira. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. This was fun. Another big thanks to Mira who came in and provided so many insights for us. So many of us around the world are wondering how to navigate through virtual learning and what it's like and what are the strategies. And I think it was really encouraging to hear Mira talk about, yeah, just applying your own teaching practice and be kind to yourself. And that's something that I know I can really use at this moment, thinking about, um, taking some risks, but also being okay with the things that don't go quite as expected and maybe relying on our own teaching practice, our, our, our training and experiences, those are still valuable, even though it looks a little different. And I think that's one of the things that I'm going to certainly take away from this podcast and this conversation with Mira. Um, more than anything, she said she had fun and I, I had fun too. There were a lot of wonderful insights in there. And I think this was, uh, the kind of tone that I love to have in this podcast, which is that we're talking about maybe some serious issues or some really meaningful issues, but also able to share some stories and uh, a bit of a bit of laughter every once in a while. Um, so uh, once again, a, a huge thanks to Mira, huge thanks to all the listeners. If you like this podcast, please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify, keep playing it, share it. I'm really excited to keep doing these, uh, these podcasts and continue this project. So, um, if you're interested in becoming a guest, please get in touch with me on theconnectedpodcast.com. And the music that you're hearing in those breaks is titled Add and by the band Broke for Free.